want more? You want more? Okay. <laughs> Told you the last time I came and preached that I distract you with pictures of my family. So. <laughs> The cool thing is my, my daughter and my son love to be tickled. They're at, they're at a fun age right now that uh, it's, it's a great relationship that I can have with them, that I, could, uh, I get the security uh, of having my children loving and, and uh, embracing me as well as they get the security of me knowing that I'm, I'm going to take care of them. And I get the joy of, of tickling them, and, and uh, it's, it's just a fun time. Uh, right now in the life of uh, a dad. Um, <laughs> I get distracted easily. <laughs> Not sure what that was, but it distracted me. Uh, my, uh, my kids, though, uh, while it's a good, healthy relationship for me to have with the tickling at this age... It's not a good thing for a spiritual father to just tickle his children, and that's the, the end of what they give them. Uh, today, what we're going to look at, the passage that we're looking at, uh, looks at that and how uh, we need to be people who are uh, expecting more from the, their spiritual fathers, gaining more than just the tickling and finding enjoyment of the, the culture, but to actually find clear, solid truth. Uh, we all, though, want to feel good, but it's a problem in our culture today uh, that we think feeling good should drive our life. You decide what's right and what's wrong by what feels good and what feels right, and it's often viewed as the right decision to make because it feels like the right thing to do. Most of the time, we gather people in our lives that encourage us to do what we want. I don't know if you guys see that in the culture, but I see that in the culture. We like to gather people all in our camp and all in our circles just doing the same things that we want to do. And we, we think that that's, that's all we need is just people who will do the same things as us. And it's hard for me not to think of a story from the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 12 uh, there was an era when Solomon was building a temple, and uh, he had been commissioned by God to build a temple to God, and uh, he had taxed the people, and he had been a very uh, harsh taxer, uh, but it was uh, for the purpose of building a temple to the Lord. And so that's what he did, and when Solomon's era finished, his son took over, and uh, Rehoboam, his son, uh, was on the job, and there were people from his father's council that said, hey, the temple's built. Your, your father was very harsh to people. You should give up. You should give in a little bit. And Rehoboam, instead of listening to his father's council, his, the, his father's men's council, uh, what he did was he looked at all of his friends, all of his friends that were around him, and, and he gathered up his, his, uh, his buddies that he grew up with. And he said, hey, what should I do? And of course, they're like, hey, if you tax more, we'll get more. So they're giving them crazy information. They're saying, hey, no, if you should tax more. If they're complaining about this, you should tax them until they stop complaining. Does that ever work? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 
It didn't work in that case. And what happened was there was a split of the kingdoms. Everybody left uh, except for two tribes. There are 12 tribes in Israel. Two, two tribes stuck around. Everybody else left. It wasn't good counsel, but he was trying to find people who had the same like-minded ideas. It wasn't good for him then. It's not good for us now. Well, uh, we'll all be tempted to do what makes us feel good. Sometimes it's because of our selfish desires, and sometimes it's because uh, we just don't want to fight uh, against the, the stream. Uh, we're tempted to do uh, what's easy. Sometimes uh, we think that uh, doing what gives us immediate pleasure is the right thing to do. And sometimes uh, we think it's just what's entertaining. So we can take our minds off of the, the things of this world. But how should the church live? How should we live in a culture that's opposed to a moral compass and opposed to, uh, and maybe just ignorant of absolute truth. How should we live? How should we respond to this culture that says, hey, doing what feels good is the right thing to do? How should we respond? 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, helps us to see that as uh, Paul continues his training of Timothy as a faithful servant of Christ in a culture opposed to the truth of Christ. Don't forget that, guys. We look at our culture and we say, well, our culture is just so opposed to Christ right now and so opposed to Christianity. Paul wasn't that far away. <laughs> that wasn't that much different then. They were actually quite opposed to Christ uh, during his time as well. And so what he's telling Timothy is very relevant to what, he, what we are able to, to gain uh, for today's culture. So uh, let's read this together, and then we're going to break it out a little bit. Um, but in 1 Timothy 4, uh, we see this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, and do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all your duties of your ministry. In this, we see three acts of a faithful servant. A faithful servant will preach the gospel. Now, some of you guys are thinking, all right, I can tune this out. I ain't no preacher. I don't have to listen now. But here's the crazy thing. This doesn't mean that you're standing up here and preaching from the pulpit. That means every one of you, I think, has an opportunity to take this passage and put it into practice. 
This passage doesn't necessarily focus on this ministry. This ministry, the pulpit ministry, the the preaching ministry from the church is part of this. But every one of us has an opportunity to preach the gospel, to preach the word. You see, the word preach here is the word herald. Somebody who's proclaiming a message. Uh, He didn't necessarily have a lesson He had life-changing news. That's what a herald would do. A herald would have life-changing news, something from typically somebody of a higher authority. Most of the time, what we, we think of is somebody who's getting a message from the king. So what you would see is you would have the, the royal scroll. This is the royal seal. They had something better than that. Hear ye, hear ye. You are hereby warned that your acts of disobedience will be judged by the king. Yet on this day, all who have hated him, disgraced him, conspired against him, turn from your treason and humble yourself before the king and accept the payment that has been made on your behalf by his own son. Though you did not deserve it, the king's son died to bring you life. He will grant you a full pardon, an eternal pardon. And one day soon, on a day appointed by the king, he will come live with you and give you every blessing in his treasure. This is the word of the king. That's what a herald would do. You guys all have the opportunity to be a herald, to preach the gospel, to preach the word. It's not about my eloquence, my ability to speak. I grew up in the country. I didn't learn words. We weren't good at talking. It's not about me. It's not about what I look like. It's not a way that I act. It's not my ability to gain your attention. It's the message, and it's who the message is from. And if the message is from somebody who you need to hear it from, and if the message is about something that impacts you, it doesn't matter how I say it. It doesn't matter what I look like when I say it. It's the message that matters, and it's the messenger, or it's not the messenger, it's the, the, the... origination of the message. It's who it's from. It's the author of the message. That is what is important. I've got two sets of notes here. Get rid of that. Sorry. Our king is the judge of the living. Out of all the ways that Paul could have described God here, this is how he describes him. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. This is an eternal message. This is a message that's going to last uh, eternally. This is something that's important to us now. It's important uh, to all people. It was important to Paul. It was important to, to, to Timothy. It's important to us. The kingdom is on his way, he's coming. The king is coming. The eternal, 
message of God. It's true then, it's true now. And the herald proclaims this message to those who need to hear it. The first thing that we see from a faithful servant uh, in Paul is that he will preach the gospel. You guys all have this opportunity. There are people that you will come in contact with who need to hear this message. You have been sanctioned, you have been commissioned by the king to give this message, to send this message out to your neighbors, to your friends, to your niece, to your son, to your daughters, to your families, to your strangers, (laughs) to those who you do not know. They need to hear this message to the people that you are going to go out to lunch with afterwards, to the, the restaurant owners, to the, uh, the people who are waiting your table, they need to hear this message. This is a message that is meant for every single person. Preach the gospel. A faithful servant uh, will prepare for questions. Timothy in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, proclaim this message. That's what Paul's telling him. You're, though, going to see people wherever you go who need to hear it, but as you preach this message, they're going to have questions. He says it this way, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. You might be going into your day thinking, oh, today I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to, I know somebody I need to go out and talk to this, or I need to share this message to. I know somebody I need to go out and do that. That means you're in season. That means that you're prepared. It means you're ready. You're set up to do that. But then there's going to be the people who you're not set up, you weren't planning on talking to. You're going to be out of season. You're not going to be ready. You weren't really planning on having that car accident. And yet, now you've got people you need to interact with. You weren't planning on uh, forgetting uh, your homework, uh, and now you've got to talk to your teacher about what's going on in your home life. But most importantly, you need to talk about Christ. You weren't planning on all these things in your life that are now happening. It's called life. You can only plan for so much, and most of the time when I plan, those don't even go well, right? Be prepared for the questions. Be prepared to share the gospel in season and out of season. When we open our eyes to the message of God, when we open our eyes to the world that he's put put us into, we start seeing the world different. I have glasses, and uh, I used to uh, not need them, (laughs) and uh, at least I thought that I didn't need them, and as I was growing up, I started sitting closer and closer to things, and eventually my parents said, hey, I think we should get this kid checked out. He seems like he's squinting at things. I didn't realize how blind I was until I was in about fifth or sixth grade when my parents got me glasses. And I started seeing the world in such a different way. When I put my glasses on, I started to be able to say, wow, I never knew that's what would happen. I I tell this to the students, but when I used to play baseball as a kid, I would play in the outfield. 
and I would hear the sound of the ball get hit, and I would kind of judge a little bit about the direction of where it's going, but I wouldn't see the ball coming. I mean, I didn't realize you could do that. It was crazy. So I got glasses and I'd start, I'd play baseball, uh, things that I would do normally, and it was so different. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, hey, look, I don't have to run nearly as far away and then try to like reroute. When we trust in Christ as our Savior and we start looking at the world through the, the, the eyes of Christ, everything is so different. We look at the world and we say, hey, this person's hurting. Some people think that they need money. Some people think that they need stuff. Some people think they need fill in the blank. But the truth is they need Christ. They need to hear about Jesus. And so we go and share the gospel with them. We weren't prepared to do it. We weren't ready. But when we start looking at the world like Christ looks at the world, We're ready to share the gospel in season and out of season. But that means there's going to be questions. That means we need to be prepared. That means we need to be uh, getting ourselves into the scriptures. That means we need to get ourselves on our knees in prayer. That means we need to be hunting out people who need Christ and praying for them. A faithful servant... We'll prepare for questions. It's not that surprising, actually, that this message follows what Paul had just told Timothy. He said, all scripture is God-breathed. It's uh, useful for teaching. And it's uh, useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You need to be thoroughly equipped because you never know when that person needs to hear about Christ. You never know what their questions they're going to be asking you. Be prepared. So get into God's word. Get on your knees in prayer. You cannot change them. I can sit up here and I can look fancy and I can uh, work on my my speech and I can uh, make things sound pretty and everything, I can't change your heart. God changes their heart. But he uses you to talk to them about what he's done in their life. He uses you to answer questions that uh, they have. That's your role, is to uh, be able to answer the questions. And how are you going to be able to answer those questions? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You can be thoroughly equipped when you spend time in God's word. Pray for God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel. And don't back down when he lives up to that end of, end of his, his part. I tell students on a regular basis that uh, if they start their day by praying, God, uh, bring somebody into my life that needs to hear the message of the gospel. Let me tell them about Christ. Start your day with that. 
And you know what that'll do? That will mess you up. That will mess you up. You are going to be walking, uh, doing the things that you normally do. You're, you're walking to your job. You're walking in, and all of a sudden, somebody comes into your, your, your sphere of influence, and they're talking about how rough their day was and how if, if only these things would happen. And you're, what starts going on in your mind, and maybe it's because you are now made aware, maybe it's now that you put on the, the, uh, the spectacles of Christ. Now you, you might see things different, but maybe it's because God's now brought these people into your life and prompted them with things that you uh, were, uh, weren't expecting. He will start bringing people in your life who need to hear about Christ. Maybe they won't trust in Christ right away, but you can share the gospel. You can preach the gospel. That's what he tells us to do. Not convince them to trust in Jesus as their Savior, Preach the gospel. Tell them about Christ. That's your, your job. That's your role. That's, that's the role of a faithful servant, is that they'll preach the word, but they're also going to be prepared for questions. It's not about you, remember. It's not about uh, your ability to speak, because some people think, well, I'm just, I'm not good at preaching. I'm not good at sharing the gospel. I've never really done it. I've never really felt comfortable telling people about Jesus. That's just, I'll leave that to, to, the, to the people who are paid to be pastors. I'll leave that to those people. I'll leave that to uh, the people who have the gift of an evangelist. I'll leave that to the people who have the abilities to, to, to speak gooder than me, right? <laughs> but here's the crazy thing. It's not about you. It's about the author of the message, and it's about the words of the message. It's not about you. You don't influence them. The Holy Spirit influenced them. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit changes their heart. The Holy Spirit will bring about faith in their life. You're just the conduit. You're the, the person that God has used to share the gospel. The third uh, aspect, the third act that we see of a faithful servant in this passage is that a faithful servant will practice discipleship. He uh, continues... He says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. And he says, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. When I read this, I think discipleship. You can't see change instantly. That's not happening right away. You're not going to see immediate results. Sometimes things go a little faster than you would expect, but you've got to be patient. You see somebody... Who I and I, I do this all the time. I'll 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 look at a student and I'm like, oh man, they were just like me. Man, I was just like them when I was their age. I was doing so many stupid things just like they're doing, right? And so you see them and you think, oh man, this kid, this person, this adult even, they're just like I was. I'm so glad I had somebody in my life coming alongside me, correcting me, rebuking me, guiding me training me with patience, right? Preach the word. Be
Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I have a, uh, there was a fancy pants study at Harvard. Wow, this is heavy. You know if it's a, a study at Harvard, then it's a fancy pants study. So the fancy pants study at Harvard said this, uh, a common characteristic that predisposes children to positive outcomes in the face of adversity is that they have at least one stable, caring, and supportive relationship with an adult caregiver. More or less, when stuff gets tough, people who prevail usually have somebody alongside them, a stable caregiver who loves them, who's coming alongside them and giving them guidance. I don't know why they didn't make it that easy, but it was like something like 15 pages long, too. In here, I have a uh, container of marbles. In this container of marbles, there are, hold on, I'm going to get this number right because I am guessing. I think it's 936. Those are the two papers I don't need. There are 936 marbles in this container. Now, why would I have 936 marbles in this container? There was a a guy named Reggie Joyner who uh, I look up to in youth ministry, and uh, he talked about this in a way that I could actually understand. And so he talked about how much of an impact, the ability to impact people in our culture uh, has, and he talked about it in this way. There are 936 marbles in this container because there are 936 weeks before your 18th birthday. All right? So uh, some studies, there's a Barna Group study that said that if you are going to trust in Christ as your Savior, 66 or 64, right around two out of every three person, people do that before they turn 18. Two out of every three people do that before they turn 18. There are 936 marbles in this container. Here's the crazy thing. I look at my kids' lives. Bethany is going to be turning three in a couple of weeks, and Ezra is uh, going to be turning two in a couple of months. I have lost 104, or right around 100, well, about 100 marbles with Ezra already, and I've lost about 140-something marbles with Bethany. Some parents are like, I lose my marbles all the time, right? <laughs> we, are, we are down marbles that... that I'm thinking of, of Tony and, and Mike Smith. They, they've got a, a, a like week-and-a-half-year-old, right? They're already starting. You, you're losing those marbles. We have the ability to impact them, but it goes so quickly. It's so quick before those marbles are gone. Nine years old. If only I knew somebody who turned nine today. Oh, wait, I do. We've, we've got Elizabeth Martin who turns nine today, right? So before they are at their ninth birthday, we are down to 468 marbles, right? So 936, 
468, we are down quite a few marbles. Every week, we have the ability to make an impact on somebody's life. I think of when I'm, when I'm working on teaching with students, I have seven years. Seven years to impact the lives of your kids uh, from the point they start in sixth grade until the point they're ready to graduate high school. And most of the time, uh, I still have the ability to interact with people. I still interact with students uh, now, but it's such a different experience. Uh, I have people who uh, were in my ministry that I still talk with, but it's literally, it's, hey, how's everything going? Oh, cool. That's great to hear. And, and that's the, the, the end of my relationship with them is mostly when, when they graduate high school. Some of them come and serve in, in the church, and I'm part, able to work with them. Uh, Toma, where's Toma at? There we go. Toma was in a basketball ministry that I uh, helped coach uh, when he was in something like sixth grade, somewhere around there. And so I was able to, to work with Toma, and now he's actually serves with us in our high school ministry. And that's a really cool thing to be able to experience that. Uh, but uh, for the most part, we, we only have, uh, I've got seven, more or less seven years with the students to make an impact, to, to teach them as much as they can possibly know. And, and trying to like, plan out a seven-year plan of what they should be learning in Sunday school this year and what they should be, be finding out in, in the... the the midweek uh, program that we have, and, and looking at that and saying, okay, they really need to know uh, theology, they really need to know doctrine, they really need to know uh, biblical history, they need to know the Old Testament, they need to know the New Testament, they need to know uh, worldviews, and you start looking at all these things, and you're like, oh man, how are we going to do this in seven years, right? And you're running out of marbles so quickly, Then they get to high school, right? Am I doing this the right way? I'm doing this backwards, aren't I? You need this this way. Okay, so then uh, we're down to high school. And when you're in high school, you've got 208 marbles, 208 weeks to change their course, to direct them in the path that they uh, should be going, in a path that God is directing them in to make uh, them uh, good, godly followers of Jesus Christ. 208 weeks. And some people are a little bit slower, like myself. When I became a follower of Christ, I uh, had 104 marbles left. 104 marbles. I was right around 16 years old when I trusted in Jesus as my Savior. And some people, you look at these and you say, oh, I have plenty of time left. Things will be okay. Uh, You know what? I don't need to teach them about everything that they need to know within this span. Uh, If it wasn't for the people who looked at me and said, wow, this kid needs Christ. This person needs to trust in Jesus as their Savior. If it wasn't for... Uh, the people who uh, intentionally were supportive and spending time with me and dedicating time that they could have been using on the golf course, they could have been using uh, playing video games, doing whatever they want to do, they could have spent with their careers, they could have 
uh, gone off and done other things and kept them busy. If it wasn't for them, these 104 marbles wouldn't have been enough. But it was. I trusted in Christ as my Savior, and now I'm here. And uh, two out of every three means that there are one out of every three who trust in Christ after their 18th birthday. So don't give up on them either. But we have such an impact to make on those who are uh, in our ministry, those who are uh, our neighbors, our nieces, our nephews, our grandkids. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's your, uh, your friends that you uh, hang out with on the weekends. Maybe it's your uh, co-workers. You have such an opportunity to invest time in their life. Share the gospel with them. You have the opportunity to answer their questions and to be there for them. But most importantly, uh, be a disciple. Come alongside them. Be somebody who they can uh, look to, that they can ask questions to, that they can make mistakes with, and be there for them. That leads us to what our response should be. Our response should be to participate in faithful service. Do your part. Do your part. Do what God has called you to do. Preach the gospel. Answer questions. Disciple somebody. I want you to think of at least one person in your life right now who needs to hear about Christ. I want you to think about them, and I want you to do something about that. I want you to come alongside them. I want you to walk with them. And if you do that, do you know what God can do here? Do you know what God can do in our midst, throughout our city? God can transform this culture. We have politics, like, in everywhere right now. And so many people, I keep hearing, like, oh, man, if we we get the right president, this is going to change our culture. That's not true. They might change things. Things might be different. But you know what's going to change? If you change the the youth, if you change the people that you're interacting with, if you're making an impact on this generation, the next generation, that's going to change the culture. That's going to change a lot of things if you spend time discipling, spend time preaching the gospel, spend time answering questions. Somebody who uh, is planning something to... uh, make this type of impact is, is Mike Ruane. Mike, uh, would you mind coming up here? Check, check. Awesome. All right, Mike, uh, you are... I don't know why I'm holding this. You hold that. I'll hold this. All right. <laughs> Hello? It's on. Don't worry. Uh, Mike, you, you are planning an uh, event that we are, are doing in the, the near future. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is? Uh, yes, this is a, an outreach ministry that our church is going to the St. Charles Youth Detention Center, where we're going to be in a larger group that 
disciples to young men who don't really have too many marbles left in their jar that haven't, for one reason or another, haven't had the type of guidance that the young men and women that we have here in our congregation have had. And it's, it's an opportunity to be a herald and to go out there and to really declare what God wants us to do, is, is to proclaim his son healing power that he has over all of us that these kids don't know who Jesus is. I, I was talking with somebody last week, and I, I forget who it was. I think it might have been Al, and uh, we, Al Weber, sorry. Uh, and we, we, were, we were talking about, like, what's the difference between them and, and us? And I, I was saying we probably was just we just didn't get caught, right? We, we're, and eventually when I became a follower of Christ, my life was different. I had somebody coming alongside me. But up until that point, I was just kind of doing things that I probably should not have done and probably would have ended me in a place like uh, St. Charles. Uh, but tell us about, uh, actually, have you, have you ever uh, done anything like this? When you, when you looked at the... the uh, the schedule and saying, hey, I'm going to go, because basically what we do is we, we go and sit down uh, in this big room, they have somebody share the gospel, and then they break up, and they, they send out uh, a bunch of different kids, and you're sitting and talking with the kids, and you have like four to, to five students uh, around 14 to 19 years old that you're, you're talking to them about Christ, and you're sharing the gospel with them, and you're just saying, hey... Uh, let's talk about where we were. Uh, but have you ever done anything like that before? No, th- that was my first time. And it was very first time I got outside of my comfort zone. It's so easy to just sit here and to say, like TJ was saying, oh, we got hired professionals that will go mm-hmm. out into the world and proclaim Jesus as our Savior. But about a year ago, there was a man that used to come to this church. He got up here. And he looked out there and he told, he had joy in his heart. But he, he went many times to many prisons. And when he was done, I said, you know what, I can do that. If I want to feel good like he did to touch and impact these kids that, like TJ said and Al, when I was growing up, I just never got caught too. But maybe the culture that these kids, would, they feel like they're told they got no hope, no future, I could sit down at a table with four or five kids who are a captive audience that basically have to be there. But if I could reach one of those kids, and one of those kids can make a change when he goes back to the world, this isn't a forever prison. This is just a detention center, and maybe they're there less than a year. They, then they got to go back to the same environment, and maybe they can make changes, different choices, that's my prayer, mm-hmm. but that was my first time ever doing anything like that. And how did you, uh, how has that experience helped you in being a faithful servant? Well, like I said, this was a year ago, and after that point, I knew what God's power was in my own life. I saw it in kids' eyes that I know that were listening to what I said, and I know that God was able to use his power to reach those kids. All I have to do is be a herald. All I have to do is talk to them. 
And after that, our church became became more aware of the thousands of people in this community that don't know who Jesus Christ is. I mean, we all know him. We all interact with him. We see him at restaurants. We see him everywhere. And I became active in our outreach ministry where we've tried to, you know, tell people who we are. And I've seen a lot of people grow in the short time since that happened within our own church here. So if there's anybody who's kind of on the fences of maybe I kind of I'm interested in doing it, but I, I don't know, uh, that seems like it might be for somebody else. What, what would you tell them? Is there anything that you would like to share with them? Well, I'm the last person that would ever want to come up here and talk to everybody. <laughs> so, you know, I'm sure that most of you wouldn't want to change trade places with me right now, but... <laughs> It comes down to where it's not me, it's not you. You go there, God pushes you there. You take a step forward, and you just say, okay, I'm in the van, I'm driving to the detention center, and then you get out, and you got to go through, like, the security, and you get a badge, and then you're in a room where there's, like, a bunch of people from all over the place, and then you say, well, at least I'm safe in numbers. But at some point, God uses you, and it's not you. And you are able to get out the message that God, he, he's not going to come down here and just magically appear. He uses us. That's what we're here for. That's what it says here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Well, that's what this is all about. Mm-hmm. It's getting out of your comfort zone. You're not alone. You're given tracks. There's people there that have done it like 60, 80 times. I mean, I was there. All of us had a number one on our name tag because it was our first time. <laughs> now I'm going to have a two. And if, you, if you've never, never had a chance, everybody says that they want to go out and our church doesn't have outreach or this or that. Well, this is the opportunity to do it. And, and you will, on the way home, I guarantee that you'll have a smile on your face and all that nervousness goes away. You just... It gives us a chance to go out and practice. I mean, I've even had a chance at work where somebody was talking about something, and I wasn't afraid anymore. I'm, st- I'm done being afraid. Amen. I'm going to go out, and I'm just going to say the right way, and that would be, what, what would you call it, out of season. Yeah. You know, I was out of season about a month ago at work with a guy, and I just, I wasn't alone. It's not me doing it. It's God through me. Amen, and if you are interested in joining our little group going up there, we're going to have a Saturday before we do this to where we're going to maybe go out and have breakfast or something. And, and So you're going to practice a yeah, little bit. It's not like you're going to be like I was last year. We were there thrown to the wolves. This year <laughs> we're going to have a little bit of, of practice before we go. There you have it, guys. We won't throw you to the wolves. Thanks, Mike. One of the greatest ways that we can feel comfortable and ready and prepared to share the gospel when our coworkers come into our lives and uh, ask us a question that is just blatantly deserving of the gospel is we practice. And these kids can't go anywhere. They're in prison, right? <laughs> so here's a great opportunity. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Here's a great opportunity for you to be able to work on your 
comfortable comfortability level uh, to be able to uh, share the gospel with them so that when you're ready to share the gospel with your friends, your neighbors, your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your uh, parents, your children, you'll be ready. So Mike Ruane, actually, he's going to be in the, the, the back. If you're interested in going, participating in that, we'd love to have you sign up. You, we're not forcing you to go. This isn't the only way that you can practice sharing uh, the gospel. This is a way, and we want to give you this opportunity. Uh, like we said, the difference between me being on the street uh, or the youth detention center uh, was really somebody praying for me, somebody intentionally reaching out to me, somebody sharing the gospel with me. We need to be prepared. We need to share the gospel. We need to disciple. Pick out somebody in this church. Pick out somebody in your sphere of influence to lead in questioning and answer uh, their questions for them. Help them to walk with Christ. Do it patiently knowing it's not going to happen right away. But we've got 936 weeks from when they're first born to when they're uh, 18 years old. And every week after that seems harder and harder. So it's going to take patience. It's going to take prayer. But God has a message that can transform their heart. Let's pray together. Father, you are a God who loves us, and I don't know why. We, are, we were your enemies. We were blatantly doing things that were offensive. We did things that uh, were just completely ignorant of what uh, seemed right now. And you loved us. And you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And if there's anybody here, God, that, that hasn't trusted in Jesus as their Savior, God, I pray that they would change their life today by trusting in your Son. And if there's anybody in the congregation today, anybody listening, who says, oh man, I just, it's not necessarily my thing to share the gospel. God, I pray that you would get a hold of their heart. And that you would bring people into their lives that are begging for the message of Christ. So the only thing they can do is turn to them and say, you need Jesus. And I pray that that would be true today and going forward their lives would be different. That Oak Lawn Bible Church would be different. That our community would be changed. That our country would be changed in this world would look to you and say, what were we thinking? We need to trust Jesus as our Savior. Preach the gospel, guys. Guys, be prepared in season and out of season. And make disciples. God, I pray that that would be on our hearts as we, uh, as we go today. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.